If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Thank you. Acts 2. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for our time of worship so far this morning. And and now as we turn our attention to Your Word, you know in John 17 that it is Your Word, Your truth that sanctifies us. And You have given us the Holy Spirit to teach us all truth. And so, once again, our heart's desire is not just to be hearers, but ultimately doers. And according to Romans 12, as our minds are renewed, we will be transformed. Metamorphosis changed more and more into the image of Christ. So that's our heart's desire. We thank you for your word. It is truth. It is authoritative. And so, Lord, now we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 2. Early church, right? Peter speaks. God moves. 3,000 people added to the church that day. Verse 42, Acts 2. What do they do? What are we going to do? Right? Never happened before. 3,000 people in Jerusalem. Now the big question is, what do we do? What are we supposed to do with this mega church? Right? This mega church. It just happens. So let's look at what they did. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what's amazing, 3,000 people are saved, added to the church. They begin doing some core things around being the body of Christ. And look at the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So as the church was simply being the church, God was taking care of the evangelism. Do you see that? It was growth, what I call, from the inside out. I've been in other churches uh, in other cities where I was on staff of what they would call seeker churches of thousands. And and nothing wrong with that model unless it becomes flipped. And what would happen in some instances is we were so consumed as a staff with reaching the hypothetical non-believer out there that all of the, a lot of the budget, most of the budget, and most of our time and resources were going out to being attractionary. And the believers, the church, was sort of an aside. And what would happen in particular at one church I was at is the believers started to leave and go to a, a church where they felt that they were being discipled and fed. And it was, it, do you see what I'm saying? And, and part of that, I took from that in my own growth as in, in, in the ministry was, Lord, at a certain point, we have to honor and obey your word. We have to be true to what you call us to do as a church body, as a body of believers, and entrust the growth numerically to you. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? 
See, the pastor, I can get caught up in success syndrome. And I can get, you know, I can feel really good if you all are here. And I can feel really bad if attendance is down. I mean, I've experienced that. And you know, you want to know one of the ways that God weaned me from that with you guys? Because He kept us on Saturday nights for four years. Saturday nights were tough, right? And you guys were committed, and, and there, was, there was less than there here even this morning. And it was really a gut check. It was a heart check for me. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Are you really here because you love them, or are you trying to build something? And, and Saturday nights... Woo! Right? And not only was it that it was tough because of birthdays and traveling and all this kind of stuff, it was tough for those that came. Because a lot of you were sleepy. You want a you pride gut check for a pastor? Hang in there, Mike. Hang in there. I know it's been a long day, Mike. Hang in there. So not only was attendance like this, on Saturday nights, because the people said you can't do church Saturday nights, you were tired. Some of you were at the beach all day. Some of you had to work. Some of you were so committed and you said, we're going. You know, I saw it all on Saturday nights. Head bobs. Some of you just stopped fighting. You got comfortable, snuggled up to the horse and your head just went down. And, and at a certain point, you have to say, what are we about? What are we supposed to be focusing on? And God used that even in my own growth. Say, we're about being the body of Christ. We just gotta, and we've got to trust God with, with that growth, whatever you want to define that, in His time and in His way. Right? So the early church focused on verse 42, apostles' teaching, and they devoted themselves, okay, they were proactive, they were intentional in this thing called fellowship. Fellowship, And that's defined as, he says that verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. We saw last Sunday that the root of fellowship is commonality. Commonality. We have a common new covenant relationship with God, so we are all placed into the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we now actively, jointly participate. It's not a spectator sport. You don't even get to choose whether or not you want to be in the body of Christ. Now, God may call you to a different local fellowship, but as far as being in the body of Christ with a gift and, and, and the ability to serve for the edification of the body, that's not voluntary. You're in. So turn to the person next to you and say, you're in. You're in. Right? But that, that goes back to that privatization and that goes back to what you've heard me call before, the church mentality. Where nowadays people will shop around for a church that meets their needs. So, so pastor, you better give me a good sermon. Music, you better be music I like. Child care better be a top-notch. Youth ministry. And we have this church shopping mentality. And if we're not careful, rather than understanding that as a believer, I am to be an active participant, it's all about me. And, and I, I, years ago, I, I put this phrase, are you a getter or a giver when it comes to church? Is your church mentality primarily, what am I going to get today? What am I going to get from the worship? What am I going to get from the pastor? What am I going to get from the donuts? Right? 
versus, Lord, today I'm going to go to that OBCF church. What do you want me to give? What do you want me to give? Radically can change your Sunday morning experience. Radically. If you prayed this morning and every morning before you get together on a Wednesday even, Lord, I don't want to just be a getter. You call me to give. You call me to be an active participant in this body. So it's just about, you know, you've got to be really careful about just being a getter. We're called to give. And you're like, oh, now it's about a checklist, huh, Pastor? Now it's about works. No, no, no. You'll see in a little bit what the, what the motive should be. Okay? But before that, we have a, a wonderful testimony, a little sharing time, of how you have lived out, in many ways, active love when there's been a need. So Doris asked me last Sunday if she might have a couple minutes just to express her gratitude to the body uh, for what you've done for her in her life. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. I, I don't think you'll mind me sharing this. No. Through that love that you were just pouring out on Doris, she had to grow through that. Because those of you who thought that Doris wasn't done growing in her sanctification, <laughs> one area of growth was the ability slash willingness to receive. she had to overcome her own personal resistance to receiving tangible help right and one of the things that I shared with Doris is Doris when somebody wants to bring you food or take you somewhere what do you need to say thank you thank you thank you right and and it was a, it's been a wonderful growth experience yeah. be, because uh, like many of us uh, self reliant I don't want to be a bother oh I you've done so much you know and I try, there's no scorecard we don't keep track you don't run out of credits around here there's a need there's just a need and Doris had to grow in her own sanctification through this to receive what the body of Christ is called to do amen right and on top of that. After the first surgery, I had to have a second one, and you did it all over again. And we did it all because you didn't learn the first time. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Thank you, Doris. <laughs> all right. So, 
the body of Christ. We're, we're, we're placed into it. You're gifted. You've been given resources, talents to be used, to be used for the edification of the whole body, not just to be givers, but I mean, getters, but givers, right? There's a mutual dependence we have. Hard word for some people in here, dependence, right? Because you're taught to be self-reliant, right? We looked at these verses. You don't have to turn there in the interest of time, right? Uh, Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes 4, nine, ten. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Two are better than one. Right? Proverbs 27:17 is iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And then in the body analogy, 1 Corinthians 12:21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. So as a body of Christ, as a believer, you're placed into the body of Christ. And you, honestly, the only thing you can say to, to another brother and sister in Christ is, I need you. So go ahead and say that to somebody. I know. Say it to somebody. I need you. Go ahead. I need you. Woo! That's liberating. It can be. It can be. It can be liberating to simply come to the place of of mutual dependence. Because, you know, theologically, we sort of, okay, yeah, God is, Jesus is my strength. God is my strength. I can do all things through Christ. So we do this vertical thing and it's all here. But we won't let anybody help us at the human level. And when you can come to that place of of just being okay with needing others, and that's what happened in my time with my, my older brother and the Lord down in San Diego, the more I met with him and the more I realized he just wanted to love me and not fix me, the more, you know what, God showed me? I need this. God did this miracle in this self-reliant, independent college kid meeting with this older Christian and he didn't lecture me, he didn't preach at me. And after a few weeks I go, wow, I guess I really needed this. I needed to be okay being in a, in a discipleship relationship where it was okay to admit I didn't have it all together. It was okay to admit I was confused. It was okay to admit where I blew it that week. God showed me I needed that. I needed that. It was a mutual dependence there, right? And so everything we do here, we saw that fellowship is rooted in relationship, vertically and horizontally, and out of that relationship flows the activities of the church. Okay? So everyone say relationship first, and then activities. See, a lot of times we're raised in church where it's flipped, and we rely or we try to get the activities to create the relationship. I've been in those churches. You even try that? That's, that's a lot of youth ministry is driven that way. What's the next activity? Activity, activity, activity. Because we're hoping out of the activity, then the relationships follow. Relationship. Biblically, it starts this relationship and then goes this relationship into the church and out of us loving one another, we become the hands and feet. So it's relationship first that flows into activity, into service. 
Okay? Now, what is the motive for all of that? It's got to be love. It's got to be love. Turn to First Peter. First Peter. Now, if you've been with us, Hebrews, James, First Peter, towards back to the New Testament. If you've been with us uh, for any length of time, you know that we've talked about the different kinds of love in the Bible, right? There's one love called phileo love, where we get Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. And then there's agape love, uh, self-sacrificial love, right? There's definitions in your notes there. Here's an interesting verse, and, and one that, that's helped me in my own life, but also in ministry. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Now, what we're going to do, just so you know, is we're going to come back to this next Sunday more in depth um, because uh, there was a blessing that was given to us. I was just made aware of yesterday afternoon. Um, and we're going to get to enjoy a meal together uh, this morning. And uh, you'll see how it connects with everything. Um, so it's going to be more of a devotional message, and then we're going to come back more in depth next Sunday. But look at First Peter 1.22. Peter is speaking to believers. God's elect, right? Strangers in the world, according to verse 1. It says, Now that you have purified yourself, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. So, it's kind of an interesting verse. Look at verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. It's kind of interesting in the English translation because he seems to repeat himself. What he's saying is, okay, you were born again. You put your faith in Christ. You've been regenerated. You have a new nature. The Holy Spirit indwelling you. Romans 5, 5 says the love of God is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He says there in verse 22... So that you have sincere love for your brothers. And then he seems to repeat himself. Love one another deeply from the heart. Why is Peter repeating himself? What's going on there? Right? And this is very important because last week we, we saw that sometimes in the church we grow up and, and we water down words. And fellowship is meant to be donuts and coffee. Fellowship is the social stuff. Right? What's happening here is this verse is very, very important in us understanding the depth of maturity. Because what he's saying there really in verse 22, let me rephrase it for you using the original language. Is now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere phileo for your brothers. Okay? Look. You put your faith in Jesus. You're in the body of Christ. You now have phileo love. Phileo love is what I call potluck love. Right? Phileo love is friendship love. And as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we now have commonality. Common values, common... You, you see what I'm saying? You're placed in, and how many of you, just at a friendship level, enjoy hanging out with other believers? That's phileo love. Potluck love. We like hanging out with you, right? Like, you, know, like, you know, we just kind of enjoy each other's company. And then what he says here, then he says, you have phileo love for your brothers. Then it says, Agape one another deeply from the heart. And this is very important because it says, hey, church, you put your faith in Jesus, you like hanging out with each other. Betty, do we like hanging out with each other? Right? We like. You mean that? <laughs> right? 
We enjoy each other's company just because of the commonality of the things we do, right? You and Pat enjoy each other's company with guitars. It's very much if you like guitars, you have that commonality. So we have this brother-sister love, right? Right, sister? Right. And he says this, hey, church, church, you got phileo love happening. But don't stop there. You got to agape one another. Why is that important? Because if we're not careful as a church, phileo love can become selfish and self-centered. See, when I say I have phileo love for Scott, I'm kind of saying, hey, Scott, we like hanging out with each other, right? So I'm kind of saying, I like you. You make me laugh. I have fun with you. I enjoy your company. What's the first word in all those phrases? I. Nothing wrong with it until phileo love becomes all about me and what Scott can give to me. Do you see how phileo love can degenerate? I, I, I. Candy, you make me happy. I, it's all about now, and translate that not at the, just at the individual, but we go to the church-wide. I like going to OVCF. They're so loving. They have so much good food, right? Remember I talked about being a getter versus a giver? That's the manifestation. We're suddenly even attending a church with good filial love turns into me and what I'm getting out of it. And Peter says, hey, don't stop at phileo. You've got to go to agape. Agape love is self-sacrificial love. The love of Jesus. Right? On the cross. Here's an example of this. And we're going to end with this. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11. And the Bible gives us an example of a church that kind of lost its way between phileo and agape. 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 17, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Corinth was pretty much like the Ojai of the day. Wealthy, comfortable, well-to-do. Corinth was, you know, Southern California. Okay? That's, that's kind of the context so you understand the city of Corinth. Okay? Wealthy, comfortable. So the church is there, and the Apostle Paul has to write a letter to them, and he calls them out. He calls them out. Verse 17, in the following directives, 1 Corinthians 11, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. What? Right off the bat, he's saying, hey, church in Corinth, it's better you didn't even meet. You're doing more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. Here's what was happening in the church of Corinth. They liked hanging out with each other. But then it turned into, well, I really like hanging out with these two rows. I'm really tight with these guys. Right? There was divisions among them. Right? They would meet regularly for what's called an agape meal or a love meal. And then they would write from that potluck, 
there was a potluck, they would go into communion, the Lord's Supper. Paul hears in the letter, he's saying, hey, time out, church. You're doing more harm than good. Because this is what's happening. This is what I know is happening. There's clicks. There's clicks. And then at your potluck, you rich people are bringing food. In this culture, over half were slaves with nothing. But they were all part of, supposedly part of the body of Christ. So the rich people were bringing all this food to the potluck. You know what they were doing? Eating it all before the poor people showed up. Yeah, right? Oh, right? Right? Can you imagine? All these rich people getting together, enjoying company, eating all the food they brought, getting drunk. Oh, and, then, and then the rest of the church, the body of Christ shows up, who had nothing to contribute because they're so poor. Maybe their only meal of the week. They show up. Hmm. And then here's the kicker. They would have communion in celebration of Jesus' sacrificial love. They would eat all the food, get drunk, poor people show up, nothing left for them, and then they would celebrate communion together in remembrance of Jesus' self-sacrificial love for the world. Do you, you see why the Apostle Paul was so angry? He's like, you guys, don't even meet. You're doing more harm to the testimony of the church. You're stumbling people. Just call it. Pull the plug. So you get your hearts right. Just get your hearts right. And that's when I, when I was reading Peter and I said, okay, we have to guard against that here, even in our church. Phileo love at the human level, if we're not careful, we'll get stuck there and we'll turn it inward to us. And Peter says, don't stop at phileo, OBCF, you've got to go to agape, you've got to stay at agape, you've got to stay at agape. Right? That's the heart of it. That's the heart of it. And we're going we're gonna to progress into next week where Jesus says to the church, I'm commanding you to love one another as I have loved you. That's our standard, guys. The standard of how the church is supposed to love one another is Jesus' love for us. It's very profound. That, that's the practical outworking. We're going to jump more into it next week when we have time. This morning, I just want, to, I just want us to be challenged. Fellowship. Yes, we enjoy phileo here. Yes, we enjoy hanging out. We laugh, we joke, we go bowling, right? We move Tina, right? And all of that, we... Several times, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sister, we laugh, we joke, but we can't stop there. Amen. We, we, our heart, our heart. Jesus, very specifically, John thirteen thirty four. That's the new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. We're familiar with with. Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself. He was speaking to a Pharisee about the old covenant. He speaks specifically to the church and says, a new commandment I give you, my disciples. Love one another as I have loved you. And only the church can fulfill that through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Because each of us have received that love if you're a believer. Do you understand that? And that's where we're going to go. We are called to agape love, to love one another as Christ loved us. Amen? The band's going to come up and we're going to sing a song about this amazing love. So how do we do this? How do we get to that place where we pour out agape love? Step number one, you've got to take the time to receive God's love for you. How many of you are busy? Anybody here busy? Sometimes, here, here's the key. I know you desire to agape one another. But it's got to come from the empowering of the Holy Spirit in response to His love for you. Romans 5.5 5 says, God has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's in us. Question. When was the last time you said, Lord, I just want to I just want to spend some time letting you pour your love into my heart. When was the last time you just stopped? You were still and you said, "Lord, I want to experience. I want to know what it is to have your love poured out into my heart for me, for me." And I had a little chat with the worship team this morning trying to understand this love, this incredible love and and it's challenging because we've been hurt we've been wounded we're kind of oh you know people said they love us and and oh you know they've been traded right and then we say hey here's a god who loves you like and so i i I shared i said okay think about this think of those take it the right way if you have a pet i want you to feel your love for your pet I want you to feel your love for your... Even if you don't have a pet, if you have kids, I want you to feel it. Not think about it. I want you to feel that love that just goes out of you for this pet or, 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 or loved one. Just this love that just goes out. Because you love them and you're precious and you want the best for them. And you'll do anything. And you just feel it. And you just pour out this love under this. And then you're just like, oh, c- c- come here. And they're like this. You're like, no, come here. I just want to love you. Let me just love Amen? Right? Let me just love you. Oh, leave me alone. Right? right? We all know what it is to, to want to express that love. When was the last time you realized that God loves you like that? Come here, Candy. Oh, God, come on, God. No. Pat, come here, Pat. I love you, Pat. Oh, good Pat. God, I I was like, Lord, what's a word picture that we connect with and so many of us have pets or so many of us have kids that we just love. We feel this deep love and we just do anything for them without anything wanted back. Amen? That's how God loves you. That's as much of a snapshot. That's what He loves. He says, I'm pouring out that love into your heart so you can pour it out this way. Amen? We're going to sing this song. It's about God's amazing love. And let Him just remind you this morning. He loves you. He loves you. I'm not going to let you go. Lord, thank you.
for loving us like you do. We just want to take a moment here to be loved. To be loved. In church, sometimes we get caught up in activity and we get, we get caught up in, in knowing all the right stuff. When, and, and, and Jesus, you say, we're to love one another as you have loved us. So it's love. Agape love. So Lord, in this song, we choose to open our hearts. We choose to receive the outpouring of your love through your Holy Spirit in us. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never received God's love and you've never put your faith in Jesus as Savior sent because of God's love. Maybe in this song you say, Lord, I surrender. I've been fighting your love. I've been resisting your love. But this morning, Lord, I receive your love and I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Father, we sing this song not just as a familiar chorus, but we sing it because it's true. Your love is amazing.